This is The Structuring Podcast. Okay, welcome back. This is episode 53 of The Structuring Podcast. Terry War here. And today we're talking about buying property with friends or even enemies. So it's a bit of a legal tip. The first thing you need to consider when buying with friends is the ownership structure. You can have ownership as tenants in common or joint tenants. Probably tenants in common is better because each of you can leave your shares via your will. However, you might want to consider other structures such as trusts or companies as well. You've also got to consider the four things that can go wrong. So one of you could die, one of you could go bankrupt, one of you could suffer a family law property settlement, and one of you could lose capacity. You could go insane or end up in a coma from an accident, for example. So when something like that happens, it's going to affect the property and the other party. For example, if you don't have a power of attorney, you won't be able to sell the property if one of you loses capacity. So you've got to consider all of those and you've got to consider what can happen if one of you wants to get out and the other doesn't. So you might need some sort of written agreement to cover situations like that. Can the other party sell their share to anyone or do they have to sell it to the person remaining? Or does the property itself have to be sold and the proceeds split up? That's probably the easiest solution, but it can come at a time which is inconvenient to the one that doesn't want to get out of it. So you need a written agreement that should cover that sort of thing. But you also should cover things such as access to equity, who's going to do what, who's going to do the maintenance, who's going to do the liaison with the, the real estate agent, who's going to pay the expenses with their credit card and get points, that sort of thing. On the tax side, you've got to consider what happens if one of you wants to buy out the other one. There's generally going to be stamp duty. That could potentially be avoided in some situations with trusts, but generally speaking, you're going to pay stamp duty on the half transferred. There's also going to be capital gains tax. That's paid by the one selling. Stamp duty is paid by the one who purchases. So you'll need to factor that in in case one of you wants to get out. The interest on loans and apportioning expenses for tax is generally done based on the ownership percentage. So if you each own 50%, half of the expenses would be claimed by each person. That can differ where there's partnerships or trusts. So on the loan side of things, all owners will have to be on the loan. So if both of you are joint owners, both of you must be on the loan if that property is being used as security. However, where you each have other property, you could potentially borrow against that property and just contribute the borrowed funds to purchase this jointly owned one without being jointly liable for the loan. That's because you're using other property as security. And when one party wants to get out, the other party will need to reapply for the loan at that point. And when they're reapplying for the loan, they may not qualify. So you've got to keep that in mind as well. Where the loans are joint, each borrower will be jointly and severally liable for the debt. So that means if um, Bart and Lisa jointly buy a property and the loan is $400,000, they're each liable for the full $400,000. If Lisa does a runner and refuses to pay, Bart's got to meet the repayment so otherwise the bank's going to foreclose and take the property. And that has an effect on future serviceability 
I think I covered that a couple of episodes ago. There are some lenders that will use the common debt reducer approach, but generally each borrower is going to be assessed on the full debt, but only their portion of the rent. So jointly owning property with others can be a drain on uh, borrowing capacity. And where you do want to go ahead with this, one loan structuring strategy is to actually borrow your portion of the debt in one name and get the other owner to guarantee it. For example, Bart might borrow $200,000, his name only, but Lisa would give a guarantee for that. And then Lisa would borrow $200,000 with Bart giving a guarantee. That can sometimes help future borrowing capacity. And it might also be more clear cut for serviceability or um, it might also be clear cut tax wise if Bart wants to pay his portion of the loan down faster than Lisa does. That way Bart can claim the full interest on his debt, Lisa can claim the interest on her debt and they might be different. Whereas if you have a joint loan, it's going to be equal. And the same with offset accounts. So Bart could set up an offset on his account. Lisa could set up one on hers. If Bart um, inherits 200000 he might fully offset his loan, pay no interest, whereas Lisa, she might uh, not inherit anything. So she's still got her loan independent, not offset, and she can claim the full interest on her share of the loan. All right, that's it, I think. Now, just make sure you get legal advice from a solicitor before you try to jointly purchase property because there are a lot of issues. And until next week, bye for now. You've been listening to The Structuring Podcast. Check out the show notes for today's episode at www.structuring.com.au forward slash podcast.